Man, it's always good to be home at Legacy. Amen. Good stuff. Now, I know that you like the Odd Glory story. Is that right here? Okay. Okay. So, listen, we got, not that I'm checking my emails in church, but no condemnation. Um, We got an email that just came through that I just noticed. I thought, wow, that's really fun. I'm going to read that. Read this little glory story to you. Um, this uh, was from somebody that just wrote in just, just the other day, and uh, on Thursday actually, and they were listening to one of our teachings. And I think this is really cool because this was like kind of an old teaching. It's called Dispatching Angels. I know people are going to ask me afterwards, what was that teaching they were listening to? No, it's not on the table. You have to go on YouTube. But anyway, the point is, it was quite an old one. They watched it online. And um, it, this, this person says, uh, I've got a name on here. I've got their name. Duchess? It's probably not their real name. It's their Gmail account. Anyway, right. It's, it says that they were packing for a trip, listening to this teaching. It says, at one point, my attention was quickened by the Holy Spirit when Carly spoke about some, someone having an issue with the skin on their ear, and she declared um, healing from it. Feeling excited, I claimed that healing from my own ear that had the same condition. Then just then, she went on to call out psoriasis and eczema and that somebody had that on their arm. Again, I had that very same condition and I claimed that healing too. Her teaching and prayers were from two or three years ago, but are still alive in the spirit, giving life to us when we believe them. That's really important, by the way. Catch that. It says, my ear skin became smooth and my arm is healed. The plaques and the scales have fallen off and so the skin is the clearest it's been in three years. God is faithful to his word. Amen. Now, I, I just love this because she brings up a great point that God's word, even though it may be a teaching, it may be something that was written, oh, I don't know, maybe thousands of years ago, it's still relevant to us today. There's still enough power in God's Word as much as it was when it was spoken, when it was recorded, when those miracles happened in that moment. The same power is available to us today. That should get you a little excited, right? Because, you know, there is no expiration date on the Word of God, which means if it's in this book, this six-pound Kenneth Copeland study Bible, right, It goes around the world with me, by the way. I figured if you were going to stand on the word, you may as well make it a big copy, right? Sometimes a girl needs a little height, I'm just saying, right? But, you know, if it's in this word, then it belongs to us. You know, Ashley mentioned um, that I was healed of epilepsy. And up up until that point, I had been, you know, suffering with that for, for years, for a decade. I'd been a believer for, you know, many of those years. But we'd just never seen any kind of healing or, or manifestation really on a consistent basis in our churches. We just weren't exposed to healing ministry in any way. When we, when we read the Word, we saw that Jesus had a healing ministry. That was the only way that you'd be able to tell from the churches that we, we attended. You know, that's not supposed to be normal. Healing and miracles and spiritual gifts and signs that make you wonder, man, they're supposed to be part of everyday life. Amen? Not just for the super dupers, but for the everyday believer. And I remember one day I went to a Bible study and the Lord spoke a verse to me and it was from Deuteronomy. I want to read you this one because this was a good one. This is from Deuteronomy and it's amazing how one in one verse of the scripture, there is more than enough power to get you what you need. Now we have a whole 
Bible full of them. I don't, know, I don't know how many verses there are. Thousands and thousands. That would be an interesting Bible trivia quiz, wouldn't it? How many verses are in the Bible? Someone's Googling already, I can tell. But, um, you know, just, there's, there's enough power in just one of those verses to change whatever situation you're struggling with. Just one of them. And I'm living proof of this. You know, this scripture is what the Lord spoke to me when I was struggling with epilepsy. And it's in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. This is almost like a court scene. That's what it sounds like, legal, legal terminology, doesn't it? I'm calling these as witnesses to testify against you, right? It says that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I mean, I'm glad we don't stop there. It goes on, it says, therefore, if you didn't realize, choose life that both you and your descendants might live. You know, this, is, this, this verse, this one verse went off on the inside of me. I remember I was in a ladies' Bible study. It was the middle of the afternoon. And we were, you know, we were, we were just, our kids were all playing in the next room. And, I, and, I, and God showed me this verse. And you know, sometimes when you read the Word of God, and something just comes out of the pages, like, like it's being shouted at you, like God is speaking to you with a megaphone. Has anyone ever had that experience? This scripture did this to me. And I had read this before, but now I was reading it differently because there's some things in here. This was, a, this was like a, the way that the Lord showed this to me, it was like a court case, like it was a legal scenario. And there were rights and privileges that had been awarded to me as a child of God that I didn't realize that I had. And when I read this verse, it changed some things. It says, I set heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. But it doesn't stop there. It says, therefore choose. You see, we can know the Word of God, but if we want the Word of God to change us, we have to do something with the Word of God. You know what? It's like those recipes, ladies. They're not going to cook themselves. Right? You're going to have to do some something to put that together to get that, and men as well. I don't want to be sexist here. Gosh, we have to be politically correct, don't we? Okay? But... You know, we have to respond to the word in some way for this word to profit us something. In Hebrews, it says that the word didn't profit them anything because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. We've got to respond. So when the Lord showed me these verses, therefore choose life, I had never before associated that with the sickness that I was dealing with. And epilepsy is one of those things that they say is incurable. It needs a miracle right? It needs some kind of miraculous invention or you're going to be taking medication for the rest of your life because the body is designed to heal itself, but you know, there, are, there are some things that just don't get recovered from. They, you just get stuck with them. And then you're going to need to believe God for a miracle. That was one of those things. But here, as I was praying about this epilepsy situation, the Lord says, therefore choose life. You know what that said to me was, there was a power that was greater than the sickness, there was a report that was higher than the doctor's report. And that I had a part to play in seeing that manifest in my life. So that that power that was mine was the power to choose. And I don't know about you, but when you've been stuck in a situation for a long time, there's a part of that situation that doesn't just manifest in the circumstances. It becomes who you are. 
It becomes a part of you. You start to absorb it. You start to live it. You start to accommodate your life and make, make accommodations for it. Whether you need special adaptations to get around. Maybe you need mobility devices. Maybe you need to take medication every day or have a surgery or whatever. You know, this is the problem with sickness and disease. It's selfish. Because it's a fruit of the enemy. Sickness and disease doesn't come from the Lord. It, co it comes from the enemy. And therefore, it bears all of the enemy's characteristics. If it had a personality, it would reflect its father, the enemy. And so sickness and disease in itself, in whatever way it manifests, is essentially selfish. It wants all of you. It wants all your time, all your attention, all your money, if you live in America, right? The, the, it's expensive to be sick, isn't it? It's expensive. It wants your time, your attention, your money, your relationships. It wants to tell you what you can do, where you can go, if you can go, if you can work, if you can eat. All of those things. It wants every single piece of you. It's selfish. But here the Lord is saying that we have a place to choose something else. We have an ability on the inside of us to choose life over death. And it's not just for us. And this is what I want to get to today because, you know, when we... When we allow the word of God to take root on the inside of us, it's not just for us. It's that you and your descendants may live. And the reason I got here this morning was because I was thinking about legacy. What kind of legacy are we leaving for the people around us? You know, some of you may be, may, may be young still. Some of you may be young in heart still, right? Either way, you're going to leave a legacy, you're going to leave a legacy. You're going to leave an imprint on the people that are around you through the words that you say, through the actions that you take, through the places that you go, right, for the decisions that you make. You're, you're leaving a legacy every single day. A little piece of you is making an imprint on the world around you. And so the, what we believe about the Word of God affects not just us, it affects everyone around us. This is why it's too good to leave it in these pages, so today, I want to talk about conceiving miracles. Is that all right? Because in that moment when the Lord spoke that scripture to me, something went off on the inside of me that began my journey to receive healing in a way that I didn't really, I didn't really imagine that it would. You know, and it changed our life. Our, within, within a couple of weeks of reading that one verse, it got so far down on the inside of me that its power started to be released. And within two weeks, I never had another seizure, and that was... 20 years ago. Never had another seizure. You know, it's not bad from somebody having multiple seizures a day on, you know, 11 to 13 different medications, needing a babysitter, to having none, absolutely zero. And so that miracle didn't just happen. Miracles are conceived somewhere. Now, if we ask somebody, and a lot of, a lot of the times people in the world will, will throw this, world, this word miracle around, right? And, you know, if so-and-so does that, well, that's a miracle. If they do their homework, well, that's a miracle. If they pick up after themselves, that's a miracle, right? Come on, we've all said things like that, right? That laundry doesn't, doesn't just get done itself, okay? So, you know, isn't it, I think the greatest miracle is when you come home and people have cleaned your house for you. Man, that's just, anyway. That's, that's a whole different realm of spiritual awakening right there. But, you know, people throw this term around miracle, and they mean it really loosely. Now, if we want to get technical about it, which we don't need to, you know, some people really get round, wound up about whether they need to receive a miracle or a healing. You heard that? Do I need a miracle or do I need a healing? The good thing is, Jesus is still the answer. 
You don't have to figure it all out, right? But for those of you that are interested, you know, and the technicalities of this, a miracle is basically a suspension of a natural law that we see in the scripture, right? So gravity is a natural law. If something was to, to float that shouldn't float, maybe like an axe head, we have that in the scripture, right? That would be a miracle. If a human was able to push over a massive column of rock, as in Samson, that would be a miracle beyond their natural strength. That's a miracle, right? If, um, if somebody needed a healing, however, that's slightly different. Because have you noticed that your body's designed to heal itself? Here's a, if you cut yourself and a healthy person, that, that's going to heal itself, right? You have a natural ability within the body. That's how God designed it. That's why I don't understand why people fight against healing so much. God designed you to heal. Are you going to resist yourself? No wound, don't heal. Ooh, we want to be in God's will. Doesn't even make sense. Of course healing is God's will. He designed your body to do that, right? Your body's not going to resist it. But this word miracle, it means different things to different people. You know, and they might use it to say, I need a breakthrough. I need a miracle in this area. I have a situation that I just can't seem to get anywhere with, right? I've got all the doors are closed, all the yeses and noes. I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. They might mean it to, to describe a healing. Because as I said, some, you know, sometimes it's difficult to know whether you need a miracle or a healing, and it's not really that important anyway. But when we see miracles, generally, these are things that, let me give you some examples. You know, maybe you have a body part that's been removed, and it grows back. That's a creative miracle. Maybe someone's leg is shorter than the other and it grows out. That's a creative miracle. Because no amount of healing in the body is going to grow the leg back. Right? There are certain conditions that people might be diagnosed with that the doctors say are just incurable. That is a miracle. We don't have to figure it all out. Metal dissolving in the body. That's a miracle. Okay? Um, it might mean a turnaround. A turnaround from a situation. Maybe somebody's come up against something and, and they just can't, it's just always a no, right? That's a turnaround. Or a financial miracle. How many people have experienced financial miracles, right? You'd call it a financial miracle. There's a provision that it seemed like there just wasn't going to be enough. And somehow God multiplied what you had. Multiplication is a miracle, Right? The feeding of the 5,000, that's a miracle, right? And so oftentimes we see this in financial situations. It might be used to describe a spiritual deliverance. Somebody has some kind of demonic oppression, then they might, say, they might describe that lifting and that leaving them in the terms of a, as being a miracle. People use it quite broadly. They might, they might explain it to mean some, some sort of restoration, something that was missing that was restored to them. Or even something that was emotional, a restoration of a marriage, right? Some people might describe that as a miracle. That person was a good for nothing, whatever, da, 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 bleep, bleep, bleep. But you know what? They had a turnaround. That was a miracle. Some of us might have been those miracles, okay? Right? We might describe it in that sense. Or a resurrection. Literally God breathing life back into something or someone that was completely dead, We've seen this before through our ministry. I think we're up to about three people now that we've seen raised from the dead. This really happens, right? Where when, when somebody has no life in their body, the hope of recovery, but, but God, by his power, raises that person back to life again. You know, maybe you had a dead situation that came back to life. 
You know, it could, it, there could be different kinds of resurrections. But people use this term really loosely. And the, the reason I think this is really important is because many people come and they want a miracle. They say, I just need a miracle in whatever X, Y, Z situation. I need some kind of miracle. I need a resurrection, a restoration, a multiplication. I, need a, I just need a miracle. And as believers, I do believe that I don't really want miracles. Can I just say that in church? Now, I'm really grateful for miracles. I've experienced one of them, actually several of them, okay? And I'm really grateful for them, but I don't want to have to have another one. And there's a reason for that. Because as a body of believers that have the full, the full canon of Scripture right here, that are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us, that has Jesus where we know He's never going to leave us or forsake us, that has the armor of God and the Spirit of God and the promises of God living on the inside of me, I don't want another miracle. Right? Because there's a better way than a miracle. And it's called living in the blessing. Amen? Now, I do believe in miracles, and we're going to pray, and we're going to see some miracles, but I don't want you to get stuck there. I don't want you to be pleading to God for the rest of your days for a miracle every time you need one, because to have a miracle, you need a crisis. How many people want a crisis? No takers, right? That's the problem. To have a miracle, you have to first have had a, some kind of catastrophic incident that happened or a diagnosis that's incurable or beyond hope. But there is a way, and you know, sometimes stuff happens to us that we can't avoid, right? But when we get to be born again, as believers, we have the power of the blessing living on the inside of us. And when we read about these miracles in the scriptures, I want you to see that we have something more than these people ever had. We've got the power of God on the inside of us. The very power to raise the dead lives on the inside of us. That changes some things. That can change the way that we approach challenges. I want you to look up this scripture here. This is in, um, this is in 1 John. Oh, look, I'm switching between devices here. I feel like, oh, like technologically advanced. Actually, I just take screenshots of my Bible and scroll through them on my camera reel. Is that kind of cheating? But, you know, it, it's, I know, it works. Okay, so this is in John 1, verse 12. It says, but as many as have received him, received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Man, that's a verse to get happy over. How many people here have received Jesus? If you haven't, we can fix it at the end, okay? But the moment that you became a child of God, you, became, you, you have the rights of a child. You have the rights of, of a child of the King of Glory, that changes some things to so those who believe in his name. And then look on down here into uh, verse 16. It says that we have received his fullness. We have, he has been, you know, the word became flesh, but we have received his fullness. That is everything and all received grace for grace. That means that there is a grace for you in the season that you're in. There is a grace for you in the challenge that you are in. And in that grace is every power, every moment of inspiration that you're ever going to need to get you to the other side of that challenge. You've, you haven't received a half portion, a partial Jesus. You've received his fullness. His completeness, His wholeness, His dead-raising power on the inside of you. Now, I don't know about you, but 
I think that should change how we approach some challenges, right? Because when we walk into a room, you know what? Our presence demands, uh, demands an explanation from the enemy. When we walk into a room and the power of darkness is present in that room, I'm telling you, we shift the atmosphere. Our very presence containing the power and the life of Jesus on the inside of us, it demands an explanation from the powers of the darkness that are coming against us. we, We are the difference makers. We are the change agents in that room, right? And so you can apply this to to any situation that you have. You know, in Hebrews 6, actually Hebrews 8 verse 6, it says that he has obtained, he's talking about Jesus, a more excellent ministry, a better covenant based on better promises. You know, we have a covenant with God that the world doesn't have. We have a, you know that word covenant is what, like, it's a similar kind of word to contract, It's talking about a blood covenant, a relationship that's sealed with the blood of Christ that no matter what you do, you can't screw up that contract. Imagine this. Imagine, I mean, many of us have signed contracts for different things. Maybe you've had some kind of financing for something or a mortgage or a car. or You've had to sign something where there's small print. Anyone relate to this, right? And there's pages and pages and pages of terms and conditions. Or even if you get something downloaded on your phone, there's loads and loads of terms and conditions that you kind of scroll through and no one ever reads. Am I, not, am I the only one, right? right? And you get to the bottom and you just press agree. You don't even know what you've agreed to. I mean, that's why we need the fullness of God, grace upon grace. Cover us, Jesus, under the blood. <laughs> I don't know what I've just signed to, but yes, yeah, so hit me, right? But you know, in, in, that, in those terms and conditions, in the Old Testament, you know, the relationship that people had with God, it was based on a lot of terms and conditions that if they didn't keep it, it didn't come to pass. You see that? But Jesus made the difference for us because now we don't have an Old Testament, an Old Covenant relationship. We're in the New Testament. Why? Because the New is better than Old. Right? New is better. I like new things. Who likes new things? I like new things. Okay, new is better than old things, Right? And it's based on better promises. And the person that fulfilled all of those terms and conditions doesn't even have to be you. It's Jesus. And this is really exciting because it means to me that receiving from God isn't based on my ability. It isn't based on my great revelation. It isn't based on, on you know, whether, whether I've attended every church service. It isn't based upon whether I've given in the offering. Now, those are good things to do. We just had the offering. Okay. It isn't based on any of of my personal actions, but my ability to receive from God is all based upon Jesus' provision and my response to it. It's not based on me earning it in any way. That means that miracles and promises are available to us today because Jesus paid the ultimate price for them, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where everyone wanted to earn their salvation through fear and trembling, and they all wanted to earn their healing too if they believed it was available, right? We can't earn this. This power that's available to us, that's contained within us, we can earn it and we can't deserve it. That means we can't not deserve it or we can't earn it. We can't lose it either. This is really interesting because when we know what we have, we're not going to keep begging God for it. See, it changes the way that you pray. When you come at the scriptures from a position of, you know, I already have some of these things in Christ, there's an, there's an authority that goes with that request rather than a begging and a pleading, 
right? It changes some things. So a miracle is preceded by a crisis, but living in the blessing of God is the best. Look at this. In Psalm, um, this is Psalm 89, verse 34. It says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. This is what God is saying. Actually, to David, my covenant I will not break, my contract, you could say contract, he's not going to break it, uh, nor alter the word that's gone out of my lips. So anything that's written in this scripture is available for us today. Signs, wonders, miracles, it's all in there. Psalm 1720 says he sent his word and healed us. Now I want to show you something though, because this really fascinates me. I'm going to show you a few different ways that people approach miracles in the scripture. And we need to bear in mind that as New Testament believers, we're going to read some things that are in the Old Testament. And so, you know, we need to read it through that lens. But let's go on over here to Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you this. This was a covenant that God was making with Abraham. Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant, okay? And it says, After this word, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And he starts to lay out this plan for him in verse 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, he starts to tell him, because they're barren, you know, Abraham and Sarah are barren, and they're well up, they're past the age of being able to have children. They're going to need a miracle. They're going to need a miracle in this moment, okay, to have a child. It says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but a son that is from your own body will be your heir. And he brought him outside. Now, this is really important. Because in order for Abraham to receive the miracle that God was trying to get to him, he was going to have to change his perspective on some things. You see, it's not a shortage of power. It's not a shortage of ability. It's not even a shortage of faith that we have an issue with that's keeping us from our miracle or our breakthrough or our blessing or whatever it is that we're trying to, trying to receive. It's our thinking. There's something that gets in the way of our body and what's already in our spirit, and it's the noggin. It's the soul. It's the thinker, right? It's, it's, it's what we think about the Word of God that determines what good stuff gets from our spirit into our flesh. And this is what hangs people up sometimes. And this was no different for Abraham. He says, I need you to come outside. I need you to broaden his perspective on some things. He says, and look upwards towards heaven. That's a good practical point, right? When you've got a challenge, where are you going to look? Upwards, right? He says, look upwards towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to. Now, he knew he wasn't going to be able to count the stars. He maybe tried. One, two, 56 million, 100, and, you know, he may have tried, but he would have gotten lost. The point being that God was showing him something that was so far beyond what he could imagine by himself that he painted by numbers. He gave Abraham a picture of what that miracle was going to look like. See, this really helps because miracles have to be conceived. May Abraham was going to need to think this miracle before he could see this miracle. Look at this. He says, come outside, look at the stars. And he says, so shall your descendants be. Man, you know, Abraham hung on to those few words for 20-something plus years. We don't realize that when this scripture was given to him, that there was still going to be a period of time before he saw that miracle manifest. You know, oftentimes people abort miracles in the process because they can't see them yet. And every miracle that I've seen follows the same process of confession, creation, and manifestation. You see, God, God has to conceive that miracle on the inside of you that you might get to say it out of your mouth. 
You know, when the word of God goes out of God's mouth, it's just as powerful as if, if we speak it out of our mouth. Isaiah 55, 11 says that his words do not return void. If you back up a few chapters, he says, I've put my word in your mouth that you might plant the heavens, that you might tear things up and, and pull things down and root them and plant them. I've put my word in your mouth. God needed Abraham in that moment to see what he was seeing and to say what he was saying in order for that miracle to go from confession to creation. There had to be a process. He needed to agree with the process. I want you to see this. Confession, creation, and then the manifestation. You know, we're talking about a baby being born. You know, there was only one immaculate birth, and it wasn't Isaac. So Abraham, God needed Abraham to cooperate. Do you follow me? He needed Abraham to cooperate, to speak out what he was speaking, to say, so shall your descendants be. He needed his agreement for them to go from that confession into the creation phase to the point where he said, Sarah, let's go back to the tent. Right? That was the creation phase. But there is still a period of time before they saw the manifestation. Now, I'm going to ask you something. When a lady gets pregnant with a child, right, we don't say, well, you know what, it's, it's not a child until that child is born. She's heavy with child. We have some people that are great with child right now in our congregation. Okay? Right? They're expectant of a child to be manifested very soon, actually, okay? Very exciting. But you know, there is a period of time in pregnancy between when that baby is conceived and that child is born, then none of us get to see any of that, right? All you see, maybe, is a swollen belly for a period of time. And there's a lot longer before that you don't get to see anything, right? But still, we don't doubt that that person is pregnant. We don't doubt that they're expecting. You know what? They're expecting something before they see it. They go get stuff. Babies need a lot of stuff. Bless these people. They need a lot of stuff, okay? They're expensive. They need equipment and things. More things now than... than we had children, I guess. But, you know, they prepare. Then maybe you have a nursery, Right? You start to prepare for something. You don't wait until that child is born before you get yourself together. No, you live in that moment of expectation, knowing that that miracle of life is about to happen. But you know, a lot of people, they abort their miracle in the creation phase because they don't see what's happening. There is a miracle that is happening on the inside of you every day, whether you see it or not. There is more going on than we can see beneath the surface. The moment that we speak the word, the moment that we imagine the things of God, the moment that we take the word at, at face value and start to meditate on it, dream upon it, it starts to move from just being confessed to being created. And then it's just a period of time before the manifestation. Man, confession, creation, and manifestation. So look at what happens next. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and it accounted it or credited it to him as righteousness. It was put in his account. The moment that he believed it, the moment that he believed it, the moment we take one word from God, one verse from God, and mix faith with that, it becomes accredited to us. It now it's ours. Now it's not just a, a verse in Scripture that Carly believed for on, on to be healed of epilepsy. Now it's my verse. You can take any verse that you want to. Anyone that jumps out the page to you, any promise of God that, that you see in here, you can have it, right? 
but we have to believe it. This word accredited or accounted, it means it's hesab. It means this, okay? Being the Hebrew scholar that I am. It means, it means conceived. There is a conception here. This very word, it means to conceive something, to give life to something. To, it means to imagine it. To, to, uh, it means an artistic design. It literally means to be created, to be made, to be thinked upon. Oh, I just invented a new word there, to be thinked upon. I thunk it, right? I thunk it and so I was, right? To meditate on it. It means to plan it. You know, when we take the Word of God and we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me on the inside what it looks like. Show me what it sounds like. Make this scripture my scripture. Make this healing my healing. You know what we're doing? We're meditating on it. We're meditating on something. That's how we take a promise in the Word of God that pertains to our miracle, our healing, our breakthrough, our restoration, and we make it ours to a point where that manifestation is bound to happen. It's, it's, it's a guarantee. It's a spiritual process that's already been started. So as New Testament believers, we have so much more on the inside of us than, than Abraham had. So much more. He didn't have the Spirit of God on the inside of him. He didn't have God with him wherever he went. He didn't have that unconditional relationship of a New Testament, New Covenant believer that we have today. But he believed God and it was counted to him. It was put in his account and it was only a matter of time before he saw the manifestation of that miracle. How much more so is this available to us today? Right? How much more so? So I want to show you a few things and then we're going to get praying for some people. Is that all right? All right, let's look at something in the New Testament. I want you to go on over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Now, this is one of my, I have lots of favorite passages of scriptures, but I, I like this story. So this same covenant, this same covenant that God made with David, this same covenant that God made with Abraham, you know, in the New Testament, as Jesus was walking the earth, the Jews still, still were, were, were approaching God based on that same covenant. It was still, it's still in force. Look at this. This is the healing of blind Bartimaeus. We're going to go down to verse um, 46 here. Now, this is really interesting because obviously when we get to heaven and we're looking for Bartimaeus, we can't be looking for blind Bartimaeus because he ain't going to be blind anymore, okay? So it might be hard to find. But it says here, they came to Jericho. And as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people... Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat along the way begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out this phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see that? He's applying to Jesus based on a covenant relationship. Now, this was the place in town where the beggars hang out. It was beggar row. Okay, they're all sitting there with their, with their dogs and their banjos and their buckets and whatever they have. They're, their cardboard signs sharpied on them, you know, whatever it is, right? This, it, this was the scene. They were setting out the scene here. This is the place where the beggars sat on the road coming out of Jericho. It was heavy traffic, lots of congestion, right? You would have had all kinds of people going up and down there. So you can imagine that there were other beggars there. Not just Bartimaeus. And there were probably other beggars that were calling out on the name of Jesus also. But there's this one particular beggar that caught his attention. 
the one particular beggar that was not like the other beggars. And I think it's this phrase that caught his attention. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't approaching Jesus like all of the other beggars. He was approaching Jesus based on a covenant relationship. He could well have said, hey, Jesus, I have rights to what you contain. He was a child of God. He was a Jew. He was part of covenant relationship. He was saying, I know who you are. You are Jesus, son of God, David. You are the Messiah. Have mercy on me. You see, he was placing a demand through that covenant relationship on the power of healing that he knew Jesus contained. Now, how much more so can we draw on that same relationship? How much more so? We have Jesus on the inside of us, right? But he got his attention in this moment. And he says here, look at this. Many ordered him to keep silent, but he cried out even more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He was a persistent guy. You know, sometimes we give up. We abort our miracle because we don't see the manifestation of it in that moment. We want to microwave the miracle. We live in an instantaneous world. We want it at our fingertips. We want it now, right? But there are some things that take a process of time. There are some things that are happening below the surface. I cannot tell you how many people I've prayed for, for things that you cannot see on the outside. They're hidden. You know, it takes a period of time for people to realize, oh, I'm well. I'm healed. And in that moment between the the confession and the creation, right, we don't want to abort it before we see a manifestation, you know, I'm thinking of the story of the fig tree. I had a lady come one time to a, to a meeting like this. She was profoundly deaf, never heard in her life. We prayed for her, and she, you know, she, was, she couldn't hear anything. And, you know, she, she, went, she looked a little bit disappointed. And we encouraged her, actually, with the story of the fig tree. I'm not going to go into it now, but it's mentioned in a couple of Gospels, where there was a period of time before they saw the manifestation of that fig tree being withered up from the roots. You remember? It says it was the next day. And I said, you know, the Word of God is, is immediately gone on the inside of you. But it's, it's, in a, it's in a realm that you don't see yet. Don't abort your miracle. It's just in the creation phase. Somebody needs to hear that. Don't abort your miracle. It's in the creation phase, right? It's just a, ma- it's just a matter of time. And it changes your perspective. Because when you know, it, you're, not, you're not begging God. You're not repeatedly asking Him to come and heal you anymore. Because, you know, we're, we're New Covenant believers. We don't do that here. Okay. But you don't have to beg God. You don't have to get depressed. You don't have to get, you know, fed up over this, wondering when is my manifestation coming. No, because when you understand what the Word of God says, you're just in the creation phase. That means every day that goes past, you get more and more excited. It's like Christmas is coming, people, right? Every day we get on closer to Christmas, I get more and more I love Christmas. We get even more excited, right? Because we know that the manifestation is inevitable, It's not a question anymore. It's just in the creation phase. God is working things out in an area that I can't see right now, and I'm okay with that because I know he's faithful, because I know that his word doesn't return void, because I know it will always bring fruit. It will always bring life. It will always multiply. It will always take me from from death until life, from glory to glory. Amen? And because God is good and because God is faithful and because he's got a great track record, we trust him. That's faith. That takes faith to get through the creation phase. So here we are. Let's get back here to, um, otherwise I'll go off on another tangent. It is going back here to, to Bartimaeus. Look at this. 
It says here, many ordered him to keep silent, but he cried out even more. You know, there is a persistence here. We cannot allow other people to shipwreck what we're believing for. This is why it's really, you have to be really careful who you hang around with, right? Be careful who you keep company with. Because when you're believing God for something, sometimes God hasn't spoken to them like he's spoken to you, right? We need to be careful of that. He says, many ordered him to keep silent, but he was persistent. He cried out even more. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Now, I think this is really interesting. He says, they called the blind man saying, come, be of good comfort. Rise, he is calling you. Now, I've thought about this a lot, and I still think it's a little bit weird, but I understand it better now. So maybe you can help me with this, okay? The dude was blind. Wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus just to walk over to him? I mean, he's busy. I mean, am I the only person who thinks like this? He's busy. There's lots of people shouting, screaming, selling their wares. Jesus sees him from across the crowd. Oi, Bartimaeus, come over here. I mean, it must be quite a sight, mustn't it? You know, maybe he grabbed somebody. Maybe he had a stick. I don't know. But I've often thought, Jesus, wouldn't it have been easier for you to just you know, go the 10 yards, 50 yards, however far he was away, and go to him. Help, help a blind beggar out, right? <laughs> Seriously, I don't know, because kind of strong, he's a little uncompassionate, I don't know. But here's the problem with this. Jesus is provoking people to, to faith. And there is faith in the coming. There is faith in the coming. There's always a method behind what Jesus' is, actions here. It says here, so they called the blind man, saying, be of comfort, rise, he's calling you. And you know, you can see faith in this man, not just by his persistent calling or his willingness to even respond, but look at what he does next. It says he threw aside his garment, he threw aside his grave clothes, his beggar clothes, and he rose and he came to Jesus. You know, this for me shows that this man, he wasn't planning to be a beggar again. He wasn't planning to remain blind. Something happened on the inside of him when Jesus called his name. When Jesus called him, he responded to the sound of his voice. You know, Jesus knows you by name. He's called your name, right? But when we respond, something happens on the inside of us. And he says he responded to the sound of his voice and he started moving towards it. You know, if we want to receive all of the promises of God, we've got to move towards them. We can't be passive, sitting by the road, sitting in our sackcloth and ashes, saying, woe is me. We have to move towards the promises of God with everything that's on the inside of us. That's putting faith into action. This man was not going to be told to sit down and shut up anymore. He was up and he was moving and he was going towards the voice of Jesus. And he's throwing aside his, grave, his, his garment. This is really interesting. Because when you see um, garments mentioned in the scriptures, they're always significant. You think about the, the, you know, the, the robe of technicolor, the technicolor dream coat, Joseph, right? You think about the robe that, um, you know, David, when he was in the tomb, he cut the corner off of, the, of a Saul's robe. There was, it was a symbolic act. When the prodigal son came back, they put a robe on him. Right? You remember, remember these things? When Jesus died, they fought over his clothes, his robes. They're always symbolic of the identity of a person. They're symbolic of the authority that that person carries, the role that they're, that they're walking in in society. 
So when he threw aside his beggar clothes, he was saying more than meets the eye. He wasn't saying, I'm just a little hot. I need to get this off so I can walk a little easier. It's heavy. It's weighing me down. It's slowing me down. I need to throw it aside. No, he was, he was saying, I don't need that identity anymore. I don't identify with being a beggar anymore. I don't identify with being blind anymore. It's not who I am. And it's not who I'm called to be. You see, this is where miracles start to manifest. When people start to identify with who God says that they are. They cast aside the victim mindset. They cast aside the sickness mindset. I didn't realize for years I had a mindset that was sick. You know, that sickness wasn't just on the, on the outside of my, in my flesh. It got into my thinking. And this is where I want us to, 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 to cross the line today from, from just thinking about being well, from just thinking about being prosperous. But I want us to step on over into faith. I want to step on over and respond to God's word today. Amen? To start choosing life, not just living with the circumstances, not just living in the situation, not just scraping by and being okay with just having enough to make ends meet. But you know, there's a, there's a miracle for you today. Whatever, whatever way you see a miracle, whatever category you want to put it in, God has it for you. He has it for you today. But it takes, it takes faith in the sense that we need to respond to what the Word of God says that we have. Now, he calls Jesus rabbi, teacher. But Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has healed you. There is a response required this morning. A response that says, I'm not just hoping and wishing that the Word of God is true. I'm taking those verses and I'm making them mine. That's not just somebody else's healing that we're talking about. That's not somebody else's miracle that we're talking about. But I'm conceiving a manifestation on the inside of me. I've seen it. It's too late for me. Just like with Abraham, he had to see it. God gave him something very visual to see it. I want you to sit and think through whatever it is that you need a breakthrough in. And I want you to see it changing. I want you to imagine it. You may need to close your eyes. That helps sometimes. But visualize it. Get a picture down on the inside of you. What is a well you look like? What is a well you sound like? What is it? What does your day look like? What things in your life are going to change? What new abilities are you going to have that you didn't have before? What level of giving do you want to live at that you're not living at right now? I actually challenged you with this this morning. Start thinking about where you're going to put all this abundance as it starts to open up to you. As that breakthrough starts to happen, that that multiplication starts to happen. What new ideas, what new businesses is God birthing in the creation phase of you right now on the inside of you? And then as we do that, I tell you, the Holy Spirit starts to, starts to breathe life into those to where the chains start to fall off. The chain, the limit. You know, God is not limited by anything but our thinking. See, the only thing, he says the Israelites limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him. He's not limited by anything other than us, by our thinking, how we think. And how we think is who we are, right? We become who we perceive ourselves to be. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. 
feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.